Hey, it's Rob. This is the October edition of the Wally World Podcast. I'm glad that you're listening. Uh, we've got a great guest. It's Bruce DeShano from Offshore Tackle Company. We're going to learn a little bit about the origin of the company, uh, how some of our favorite trolling products came to be, and a little bit of tournament knowledge that Bruce can share. Uh, if you didn't know, he's a very competitive person on the drag strip and on the tournament trails, and he's got a lot of knowledge. So, particularly the Southeast Michigan guys that I know listen to the podcast, you're going to get a lot of good things from him if you fish Lake St. Clair, Detroit River, St. Clair River. Bruce has done some damage on those bodies of water, and there's some great things he's going to share with us. Um, additionally, we're going to hear some just general good stuff to learn if you're a tournament angler or just like doing stuff for fun. Bruce has got a lot of tips. So if you're a listener from other states, which I know I have, there's definitely some things you can take away. So uh, another thing that's really important, and, and by no means am I a political guy, but uh, as a as an angler and, and part of the Lake St. Clair Walleye Association, conservation is very important to us, right? So um, our club strongly supports uh, some of the Michigan legislation to protect our sports fishery. Um, and if you're you've, unless you're living under a rock, you've probably heard that there's some conflicting bills between uh, uh, commercial fishermen and also anglers. Uh, who are interested in protecting our sports fishery. So if you want more information about the bills, please go to this Facebook group. It's really helpful. It's called Michigan Sports Anglers Opposed to Commercial Take of Sports Fish. So in other cool news, one of my supporters um, on the tournament trail, uh, Beef Jerky Outlet, uh, my family went out on a little road trip down to Dundee, and uh, we went out and checked out their sample Saturday, which is something special they're doing. They've got over 200 different flavors of jerky, but uh, we went out there. I brought the dogs, the baby, the wife, and we tried over, I can't tell you how many different types of jerky to include crocodile and kangaroo. So besides some of the exotic stuff, they've got really good things like cherry maple, which is one of my favorites, but... Uh, also, uh, some limited edition stuff, which I've never seen before, this dill pickle beef jerky, which I love. That stuff's so good. Anyways, uh, if you're going to fish the fall brawl, heading down towards Lake Erie or stopping by the Cabela's in Dundee, check them out. They're right there. Or you can get their stuff on www.dundeejerky.com. Last but not least, there's um, no meeting for Lake St. Clair Walleye Association in November because folks are usually hunting. So, do enjoy that if you're out in the woods and doing some hunting. I know I'll be doing that. December, we have our Christmas party. And if you're a member, you definitely want to check that out. And and if you haven't heard of our club or, or haven't been uh, you know, to one of our meetings, feel free to stop by and get to know us. It'll be a lot of fun, and we look forward to having you. So with that said, we'll go ahead and get started with the interview with Bruce. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you subscribing, uh, listening on your various platforms where you listen to shows. And I look forward to bringing you more good stuff. It is October, and I have a great guest on the podcast. We've got the chairman of the boards himself, Mr. Bruce DeShano. Bruce, welcome to the show. Well, I'm glad to be here, Rob. Great. Um, if you don't know, Bruce is the owner and, and founder of Offshore Tackle and now the mantle of running daily operations and handed down to his son, Nick. And uh, we're going to learn a little bit about the history of Offshore Tackle, some of Bruce and Nick's involvement in the tournament scene, particularly walleye. It's a walleye show. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about a little bit of everything. So, Bruce, you having a good day so far? 
Ah, it's wonderful. I'm enjoying this weather and uh, looking forward to next weekend. I'm going to head out to uh, North Dakota and chase a few pheasants around. Well, that sounds good. I'd love to talk a little bit about the the foundation of offshore tackle. So I recently read an article from back in 2003 from the Huron Daily Tribune, and it talked about a little bit about who you were. Originally, you were employed by Detroit Edison for over 20 years, and you kind of wanted to break out and do something on your own, work for yourself. Tell us a little bit about how self-determination and your love of fishing propelled you to the current position that you're in now. Well, my dad took me fishing when I was 18 months old, and it started there. We fished all we could fish, and we eventually worked from our little 12-foot boat rowing, him rowing, to uh, we got big time. We had a, I think it was a nine-horse uh, <laughs> motor, and and we progressed through the years. Then I moved up from uh, my job at Detroit Edison as a uh, mechanic, powerhouse mechanic, in 70, ooh, 78, I believe it was, 77, 78, Port Austin was a lake trout country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hadn't had many salmon, and I had a little 20-foot Sea Ray outboard, which center console. And I met a few guys that were playing with the lake trout, and we weren't happy with the releases we had on our on our downrigger, so we come up with this little alligator clip and... Uh, there were several other guys doing the same thing, an alligator clip with a gasket material and a hot glue gun. And so we made, that was the first offshore release. We made a single and a stacker. That was a whole company. And one day I had a gentleman named Byron Shaw and his wife, Mary, they were fishermen that I was showing them how to catch the trout and stuff. And he came in and said, how would you like to make these out of plastic? We were selling, you know, a handful of these things. I said, sure. He said, I'll make them. You sell them. So I thought it was a pretty good deal. Yeah. And uh, that started the off, the true offshore release. Uh, several years later, I purchased the company from Byron and Mary. And so now I've got full control of that. Mm-hmm. We developed other products off of that. But for many years, while the salmon game was going big, it was a single and a stacker. And we had a planer board release. And we had a light tension for Lake Erie. We started to uh, get walleye. So we made a lighter tension release for those guys because they were using rubber bands. Mm-hmm. I don't like rubber bands. They end up in a bilge pump at the most inopportune time. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> it's, so you're, t- you're talking about the old school release method where people would use planar board mass and a rubber band to hold their lines to the string? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, look at the stretch because the, the walleye didn't pull. We weren't catching very big walleye. Or Lake Erie guys weren't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, that one stretched out. There's one on that. And you'd pop it loose. <laughs> I say it invariably ended up in the bilge pump when you needed a bilge pump. Right. uh, I don't have any rubber bands on my boat. (laughs) So uh, the company started with one simple release and and, uh, ironically more focused on the the trout and and salmon game. And and what I'm hearing is it kind of morphed into what it is now, uh, focusing on walleye stuff and you know, I, I use uh, some of the other offshore planer boards like the mini awesome crappie board for, fishing for salmon and trout on rivers and and there's so many different applications for the stuff you got now so tell us how you kind of moved into inline planer boards and and how those got developed well in the middle 80s you know our our great lake especially lake huron i live you know up here in the thumb Mm -hmm. that salmon was starting to get a little the lake trout fishing was great which and i love lake trout fishing 
but the salmon were starting to fade out and I saw more and more of this walleye stuff and my company had gotten a little bit bigger. Uh, just it was prior to when I left Edison, so it would have been around 86. And uh, I said, I better, if the company's going to survive, we're going to have to come up with something different. And these these guys, we, we made a big, we used the big skis for salmon. Mm-hmm. I tried it on a walleye and I, I looked at, couple other products styrofoam products that were out there and i said i can do better than that <laughs> so <laughs> four years later early 90s we come up with the or12 which little story with that my good friend and tool maker mike Zelsky, he he hand cut the first nylon prototype and we're at the sports show in the hilton hotel in pontiac at the stover dome we got permission from the hotel to go into the pool after the show was over <laughs> because <laughs> Gary Parsons, Mark Romanek, Mike Zalkowski and I were going to, we're, we're just about done. We had some finishing touches and I wanted their approval and input. So we would put a, put the bracket in one position and crank on it from the other, from the other side on the reel and see what tile it hit on the other side of the pool. And then we'd move the bracket and, and do that again. Really, real hardcore engineering. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and while we're doing this now it's about one o'clock in the morning mm. we're doing this and i look over and guido hibden is leaning over on the side with his hand over his head watching us and he <laughs> t- told me in the morning what were you doing i said well we're building on some prototypes and i seen you in there and he said and i thought we were rednecks <laughs> we, we just roared over that but mm-hmm. that was that was when we finished the board cut a tool and began uh, molding here in Michigan, molding the planer board. Huh. So. <laughs> I guess I never knew R and D was done so close to uh, my house in Pontiac. Uh, I'm in Lake Orion, but uh, I'm just trying to imagine some of the names in the sport, like you mentioned, sitting around a pool cranking on a, a reel to, to test out that product that's so well used all over the place now. You know, no, no <laughs> charts and graphs, and <laughs> yep. yeah, who'd have thought? Uh, it was beyond my imagination. I mean. Uh, I've been just amazed at this industry all the way along, and and we ju- we just try to keep making things better. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we made the little mini. Well, back up a little bit. We made sure. the little mini release to put on the on the other people's boards because again, I didn't care for the releases that were on the boards, the competing boards at mm-hmm. that time. And when I sent it out to them, they all blew me off. Said, ah, our release is the best there is, and you know it's only. I wanted like forty-two cents for these things, and they said, "Well, we're only paying nineteen for ours." And I said, "But it doesn't work." <laughs> so, anyway, I got a little burr under my saddle, and that's when we decided to make a planer board. <laughs> so, if they would have bought my little release, I never would have built a planer board. Well, I'm glad they didn't buy your little release because <laughs> that OR12 has been money for me on local tournaments and just having fun and. Uh... Thank you. <laughs> and it's uh, I'd like to know how much money was won by guys pulling offshore boards. It's into the upper millions. I know that. Yeah, and um, I th- I think that uh, most people know it's not just a, a walleye board. Um, I mean, I, I use it for salmon. I've used it for Atlantic salmon that are uh, landlocked and inland lakes up north, and uh, 
it's an awesome thing, you know, with getting everything spread out outside of the boat and getting bait to where it needs to be if you're structure fishing or, or trolling for fish in basins, um, which is a lot of the walleye game. And, and we'll talk about Lake St. Clair. The uh, offshore board is key for most of the tournament wins in recent years for getting it done. And, um, you know, if I didn't ask this already, Bruce, um, how did your expertise in, in Great Lakes salmon and trout provide you with the launch pad entering the walleye game? Well, I met a couple guys there in Port Austin, uh, Bill Sturm and Larry Hartwick, who Larry's my partner at Riviera. And uh, we were relatively young kids and our whole, we started fishing local, local club tournaments with the uh, thumb chapter of the Michigan Steelheaders. Mm-hmm. And we did quite well. Larry and I, well, we fished in our own well. Bill and I were partners and Larry had a partner. And Larry and I would finish one, two, three, four, five, six. I mean, we were, we were very equal fishermen. So then we teamed up together and fished the bigger tournaments. And we won like the light line three years out of four. And the, the year that we finished second, uh, it was our fault because we got arrogant and thought we had everybody <laughs> covered. And mm-hmm. we, found, uh, we found a boat snuck in on outside of us there. But anyway, that was our fault that we lost that one or we would have had it four in a row. And, uh, and we fished some other ones. We fished some private tournaments that were big money tournaments. Or no trophies, just just envelopes full of money. Mm-hmm. And those were fun. But I took that, that uh, you know, catch the next fish attitude into the walleye game. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly was not a walleye fisherman when I got started. I had to learn a lot. But timing was good because most of the guys that were fishing this tour, the Keith and Gary and Mark Broombaugh, we were all learning open water trolling because everything else had been done, you know, casting weight forwards in Lake Erie or rigging and jigging in the, in the Minnesota, Wisconsin, Dakotas. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have that much of a start on me. I think that's where it came from. Just, you know, I wanted to win. Yeah. I, uh, I get in my race car. I mean, I expect to win every time I come up to the line and, you know, only half of you do in a drag race. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, and I, I don't think a lot of people know this about you, Bruce, but uh, you were very involved in some of the early walleye tournaments, and uh, you're a very competitive person. I, I see you post on Facebook uh, the racing stuff you do, building race cars, and uh, you know I think that drives you, and it drove offshore tackle for for what it is now, and. Um, I always like looking at past tournament results because it tells you about what you can expect in the future. It reaffirms the foundations of, of what we do as anglers, particularly in the walleye game. And it's really cool to see your name in the mix along with your son, Nick. And if you don't mind, why don't you share a few of your favorite memories fishing walleye tournaments? Well, number one was Nick and I fishing together in a Michigan walleye tour in 99. And uh, we handlined that tournament to a pretty good, pretty good win that made us the very first boat, or one of the very first boats to qualify for the RCL, which morphed into the FLW Walleye Tour. Okay. So that was a great moment, and you know, Forrest Wood knew who we are. It was by by having our name on that top wow. of that list every week when they looked at who got added to it, our name was still the first one on that on that list. So that was, that was great. Plus it was with my son and I, I don't care what tournament I've ever won. None of them are better than the cat to win them with, with your family. Yeah, that's, uh, that's gotta be special, Bruce. And, uh, I fished some of the Michigan walleye tour stuff with my dad and, um, uh, we took a top 10 fishing, uh, the Detroit river event. And, uh, there's just something special about having that family moment, uh, being with your dad 
and just making memories on the water. And, and uh, <laughs> I can't agree with you more. Now, um, it sounds like you're pretty familiar with hand lining. Uh, did you grow <laughs> up in the area or, or how did you learn that technique? I grew up in Dearborn, yes. Okay. And uh, I worked at Algonac State Park as a park ranger when I was just before I went into service. And I had a couple of hardcore St. Clair hand liners that uh, took me out at night and we'd fill a big cooler full of fish pretty, pretty <laughs> rapid. <laughs> and, uh, and you know the St. Clair bunch. So, oh, uh, yeah. Can we mention their names? Uh, no. <laughs> 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 but. Uh, those were those. I just enjoy it, and I've I've taken a lot of people on my boat and caught them their first fish on a hand line, and they all have that deer in the headlights look when they finally when it hooks up. They'll, <laughs> I got one. Yeah, you know, it, it's just a look and a feeling. Wow, it's on. Oh, I got one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had that. I probably had twenty people tell me I got one, and it's, it was their very first hand line fish. And, <laughs> so and it's fun. It's just such a neat way to fish. And Jerry Fox and his dad have taken me out. Jerry Fox Jr. and Senior. Mm-hmm. Know and, them. Uh, they know the hand lining very well. Yes. Uh, and they're great people. They're on our staff. Like you say, you know them and mm-hmm. uh, good people. Yeah, uh, it's I, fun. I I actually I took a second place in the Lake St. Clair tournament hand lining. Mm-hmm. That was the and RCL event, right? That was RCL, yes. Mm-hmm. And of course, as as all people that finish second can tell you, I had the winning fish on, but he got <laughs> off. But it was fun to watch him because that water's so clear. And yeah. we're using baby thunder sticks. That was a hot bait in that river. And we're in 40 feet of water. I got a 20 and a 40-foot lead. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I got this fish on the lead. I got the weight in the boat. Oh, you're the, right there. The, Fish is straight down. I can see him. He's coming up slow. And in that current, I watched him shake his head. The lure come out of his mouth and disappeared. And he sat there motionless, shook his head three or four more times and said, oh, I'm not hooked anymore. And down he went. And that was probably a two-pound upgrade, and I lost first by 14 ounces. Oh, my goodness. That was a memorable fish. But it was so neat to watch him shake his head Mm -hmm. and then just kind of stop. And I know fish don't think, but it was like, oh, I can go now. (laughs) Down he went. Yeah, sound like he was a little discombobulated there. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and just by hearing you talk about that clear water, I'm assuming you were fishing the uh, St. Clair River. Yes. Yep. We're gotcha. up in 40, 45 foot of water up there. And mm-hmm. that high current had to run two pounds of weight to keep her where I wanted Holy it. Holy smokes. And the, uh, the baby thunderstick you mentioned, that's a, the shallow diving bill on that one, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Just a little tiny one. And uh, normally we run, you know, Rapalas and, and uh, bigger baits in there. But I got a tip from an old timer, downsize, he says, downsize. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was coming in in the morning. He'd been out all night fishing. So. Uh, I did, and I put the little babies on there, and was was uh, close. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say fourteen ounces, but uh, you know that that I mean you you nearly won that one, and uh, it's something that you can always remember and have that memory, and and you got it done handlining it. So you've been consistently doing damage. Um, that event that was back in the early two thousands, right? Uh, yes. I'd have to go and look on the gotcha. wall to remember. Well, I got it here because I did my homework. <laughs> okay. Looks like 2003. Okay. okay. Yeah, so, 03. 
Yes. Yeah? And it looks like, uh, you know, from, from what I see and being on the water, um, which I haven't been able to do as much with the baby, but I do know that hand lining still does work on that river and lake. <laughs> yeah, it's effective. It's fun when you get two on, or if, if you're not tournament fishing, you can run the three leads. Yep. And, uh, and really have the guy that I fished with back in the old days, he would get mad at me if I brought a lead in with only if I, the weight in with only one fish on He's Leave it down here. If you get that second fish, we don't have time to play around. <laughs> yeah. My dad would uh, always tease me if I wouldn't run three leads when we're fun fishing. He said, uh, <laughs> anything less is for wussies. So, um, I was always brought up as long as I'm fishing us water, run the three leads, the 40, 20, and usually a six. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's just so much fun. And I guess we're, why we're on the subject of handlining, I got to give a shout out to, uh, Richard and Joanne Cook, longtime members, actually founding members of Lake St. Clair Walleye Association. And they are experts at handlining all times of the day. The night moves to Detroit River, St. Clair River, even out to the mouth of the lake. Um, really? I think you know of them too. Yep. I fished alongside of them with Al Lesh, who's long since left us, but mm-hmm. one of my one of my dearest friends and uh he'd go over and holler at them and how you doing, Joanne? Oh, we're doing okay, they'd say. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, they they were handline experts. They were awesome. They still are. They yeah. just, there were just a little video from these I two thousand thirteen or something. It was somebody had just recycled through and and I thought, well, boy, I haven't even heard mentioned their name in 15 years. So mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that person was me recycling that one. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're great people. They're still around and they're still fishing. And I can't tell you how many times they've uh, they've uh, pulled uh, pulled a quick one on the rest of the field for fishing club <laughs> derbies and in winning league events and just <laughs> they always get it done. So oh, they're well, they're a they're one mind when they're on the boat and that's what it takes for a team they're just one mind they yeah. both think alike I mean, they don't have to speak to each other in the middle of the night they'll pull their leads in they're both running the same lures mm-hmm. it's it's you the know, truth it's just, <laughs> they are they are good at that uh, one hey, thing well we're on the talk just for a second the lake st Clair walleye club lost a great angler keith chris just passed away and uh maryland's uh, she's going to be lost but uh, I knew him well, and and it's sad to, to see one of ours go. And as older I get, uh, there's more I'm seeing all the time. So, mm-hmm. uh, Keith, we're gonna we're gonna miss you. Yeah, we are. Uh, Keith was a past president of the Lake St. Clair Walleye Association, and uh, he's done a lot for the local fishing community. Fished many tournaments back in the days. Um, very involved in the club. Always giving back. Uh, youth education for fishing. And, you know, he's been foundational for many people. His legacy will live on. But, yeah, we, we do want to recognize Keith Critch and, and just offer our thoughts and prayers to Marilyn and the rest of the Critch family. Yeah. Yep. Just too it's bad. Sad. Yep. Well, it's been shocking here lately. Tommy Scarless, two years ago, fell out of a tree, and we weren't sure if he'd make it. And mm-hmm. so he survived that. And then he got this cancer. And, God, how much more can you, can you take? And. So and we don't know where he's at yet. And I just had, well, every day, every day, somebody, you know, and the older you get, the more, unfortunately, the more of this you, you see. And uh, it's, it's life. Yeah. They're just take it as you get. Live every day. What's the, what's the old adage? Live every day like you stole it. Or <laughs> I like it. I'll take well, that one. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
Jeez, because you just don't know. People say, oh, when I retire, I'm going to. No, do it now. Do it now. Make the payment. Go do what you want to do and enjoy life because you don't know what tomorrow. You could stub your toe and hit your head and blow in a tube to drive yourself around the rest of your life. So I tell people that all the time. Go for it. Just just do it. Yeah. Life is uh, life is short, that's for sure. And it, I tell you what, I, I'm so encouraged. Uh, you know, Tommy's always been super positive. Any like uh, the stuff our club volunteers help with for MWC, and he's just always so positive and uplifting. And, and give our club shout outs on the stage, and and just hearing it. You know, he's a man of faith, and I really like his values. And he's just so positive through the whole thing. You know, on social media and everything. I just I can't believe that. I can't believe it. No, no. And I've spent a lot of private time with him. And mm-hmm. so he's real. What you see on stage is the same man that we hang out with. And, you know, after the tournaments or, or after practice days and we got the barbecue going and mm-hmm. and uh, he makes a mean, bloody Mary. It takes about 12 <laughs> things to make it. So. But uh, he's a good cook and loves to cook. But, yeah, that's there's no phony in him. What, what you see is what you get. True friends. That's it. You surround yourself by, you know, people that will share the information and you share it back. There's there's been some teams in the past that one or two of the guys in there would have something. They wouldn't give it to you. You know, they mm-hmm. they they give you cursory stuff. And uh, and that's part of I, I never really got a, a team together. Rich Mealy and I fish together. Like we do more laughing than anything on the water. That's the way uh, to do it. Yeah. Yeah, neither one of us were in it. I wanted people to know that I knew how to fish. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, I mean, I wanted to win a tournament, but that wasn't as important as to have the other anglers know that I know how to fish, and when I tell them something can't be done this way or that way, they know because I've sat in the the wind and rain and snow and everything with them. And, yeah, you put in the time. And, uh, I've been competitive, too. I... I uh, I've had some really good days and I've had some really bad days, which, <laughs> uh, Keith, Nick and I fished five days from Merck nationals, five days of practice, never caught a fish on, on, uh, Oh boy. Winnebago. Mm-hmm. And Nick was young then. And you know, it was like, yeah, we got to win. And just, so he gets up there and we're, we're talking to Keith and Gary at the meeting with what, 250 boats or something. And, mm-hmm. Keith, I told him, I said, we haven't caught a fish. Eh, don't worry about it. And I said, Nick's pretty disappointed. He says, Nick, you go out there and you you ask these guys, if any of you have have never been skunked, stand up. He said, there won't be any chairs getting cool. He said. <laughs> <laughs> so we went out the first day and caught a, I caught our five fish. Just doing the same thing we've been doing for five days. We went out and caught our first, I caught five fish, key keepers, nothing tournament grade, but mm-hmm. we were, we weighed five. And the second day we took a whip and got a couple or something, but there it is. I mean, five days of not catching a fish and the next day you catch five. So what, <laughs> you know, it just keep, you don't, you don't lose the faith. You keep going at it. You know, you're doing the right thing and you, uh, you keep at it. Yeah. Most tournaments are one in the hotel room. <laughs> Very few times will you win a tournament by making a radical change on the water. Huh? Explain what you mean by one on one in the hotel room. Are you talking like folks uh, like a schoolhouse circle talking about their game plans and adjusting things? Right. 
Right. You set your game plan up. You practice two, three, five days. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the old days, PWT was eight or nine days. And then you say, okay, this is my best spot. This is what I'm going to do. And if you go out there and you do that and there isn't any radical weather changes or anything, that is your, your best strategy. You get out there and you go an hour. Oh, I didn't get any fish. So I got to go over here and I got to go over there. Uh, you can't catch any fish at 30 miles an hour. <laughs> That's true. But <laughs> I have found, like you say, the hotel room, your game plan set up before you put the line in the water is probably the best game plan you're going to have for the day. Day in and day out. You know, maybe at 80% time, that's the right the right game plan. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's powerful stuff for anyone at any level in the sport. If even if you're not a tournament guy, if you're if you're just planning on where you think the fish are going to be based on historical data, um, talking with the right folks and, and formulating your game plan before you go, that's uh, fundamental to having success on the water. That's that's good stuff. There's a book called Through the Fish's Eyes. It's an outdoor life book, and I believe it's out of print, but you can Amazon it or Google it. Okay. Uh, that's, a, that's a Bible for anybody that wants to catch fish. Mm. It explains why a fish strikes, uh, the difference in a short, wide-tailed smallmouth bass and a long, skinny northern pike, why pike miss the bait so many times and the bass hardly ever misses. It also explains something very important. And that is their black and white vision to their full color spectrum. The hmm. Transition is why why we catch them in the morning and the evening because we caught them in between those two visions, and they're not as sharp as they should be. So us dumb fishermen get a little better <laughs> shot at them in <laughs> yeah. the morning because they eat whenever food comes by. They're going to eat. Sure. But that that transition, and I never mastered that when I was salmon fishing. We wouldn't the first two hours of the morning we wouldn't catch hardly any fish, but then. From nine o'clock until tournament time was over, we'd outfish most of the other boats on the water, and fortunately, it was was winning stuff. If I could have ever got that first two hours in our team, mm-hmm. it would have been it would have been over. Yeah, but that's a great book. Through the fish's eyes, outdoor life. And I read it every couple of years just. Because I'm getting old and I don't remember stuff anymore. Yeah, I always want to be learning. And I think that's a great tool for any of the podcast listeners. Uh, definitely check out Bruce's book he just suggested there. Uh, do you know who wrote it? No, I do not. Well, I can just encourage everyone to use Google or Amazon and you will find out. But I'm yeah, going to order yeah. that book, especially after this conversation. Uh, it's an outdoor life uh, book. It's a hardcover. Okay. And... Uh, when we get done, I'll dig it up out of the library there, and I'll uh, I'll message you, and and you can uh, you can add it in, or you can just put it on your yeah. post, slip it in sometime. But yeah, that'd be it's, great. It's a must read, and and uh, a lot of people have don't understand the fish they're fishing for, mm-hmm. and you need to know the fish before you worry about putting a line in the water or anything else. You you need to know your your target. You know, you, you wouldn't go deer hunting without knowing something about deer. Right. And, uh, you know, well, with radios today, you don't need to know a whole lot about fish. You just have to have a whole lot of tackle. Yep. <laughs> but. That is true. If, <laughs> if, um, if you don't mind, let's, let's roll back to Lake St. Clair. And that's primarily the, the main lake I fish when I'm not doing tournament stuff or whatever. And, and it, if anyone doesn't know, it is an absolute walleye factory. And, uh, now if you look back historically at, uh, 
the last Michigan walleye tour, that was one pulling offshore or 12 inline boards. Um, our one day shootouts that we put on uh, called May Madness. And those are one pulling offshore boards. Typically the uh, the magic uh, is trolling spinners and crankbaits. And, and there's a reason. I mean, you're able to cover more water. And uh, and you're able to cover these roaming basin fish, especially earlier in, in May. And sometimes they're just kind of roaming and they're not holding a particular weed bed. So trolling is a very big piece of how you find success. And I can't tell you how many derbies have been won pulling offshore boards. Trolling is, is key on that lake if you want to be successful, cover water, and, and be efficient. And uh, kind of going back to the RCL event back in 03, were people trolling the main lake at all? I'm, I'm just kind of curious. No, I did. Uh, we trolled that uh, with spinners and crawlers. I run snap weights just oh, eight, ten feet above the crawler to, and over over the weed tops. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the nice thing with St. Clair, the, the big boats kind of vacuum that, and they, they cut the weeds at about four feet under the water. So you have a pretty flat, once you, once you dial in the lead behind the board, you're pretty safe at, uh, at running that. And the secret there is if you're running 10 foot behind the board, you've got four foot to work with. So you have to let that out real slow mm-hmm. so that the weight doesn't fall into the, into the weeds. Yeah. And uh, a lot of guys, they'll free spool it. And well, you're, you're hung in the weeds before you even, before you even uh, get the board in position, you've already got dragging weeds. That's uh, open water. Plus yeah. if you can go a day without catching a muskie out there, uh, <laughs> And they like night crawlers too. They're not fussy at all. They're, food comes by a fish, he's going to take a bite at it because he's always spit stuff out he didn't like in the past. Yeah, I wish I could show you a picture right now, but uh, we're doing this over telephone. But I've got teeth marks in one of my offshore boards from muskies coming up and swiping at them. <laughs> yeah, you're not alone there. Uh, <laughs> I've had a couple guys insist that the fish swallowed it. And I said, no, it came back up. You just couldn't find it. Unless it was some of our earlier boards that we made with the open cell foam. Mm-hmm. And if they got pulled down ten feet, the foam would buckle and come out of the come out of the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why we put the little tab on the back. The new stuff is closed cell foam, so yeah. it, it can't do that. But mm-hmm. the first ones we made out were this open cell, and they were fine unless you got a big Lake Erie walleye or a pike and stuff. And he pulled it down, and we did we did check it. Ten feet, it will pop out. Mm-hmm. We changed that right away. That didn't last very long. Yeah, and, and that, that kind of uh, nails a point that, that you guys do and do it consistently is if, if there's a way to improve any of the offshore stuff, there's a continuous evolution with the planer boards. You can fish them the way you want. You can adjust the toe point for the tattle flag system, which is another key on Lake St. Clair, being able to read the light bites. And, and if you're ticking over the weeds like Bruce talked about when you're sending the boards out, um, it, it's super important to ha- be able to have adjustability and offshore has always evolved their products to better meet the needs of the angler. And, and I appreciate it. I've been fishing those boards for, I can't tell you how long, but, um, yeah. Um, another thing you, you mentioned the foam and, um, uh, if, if folks that are listening are in the Southeast Michigan area, if you're ever traveling by and want to come to our walleye club meetings, I actually have one of the offshore tackle uh, repair kits for any of the planer boards just come see me i usually bring it to any of the meetings if you need repair parts just say hi i always got it and, and if you need help there's actually a couple of us Vantori has a uh, repair kit too and we're more than happy we bring those kits for a reason to help people out if there's issues with your boards damage we'll fix them 
So we got it covered down. If you're ever in the area, any of the Lake St. Clair Walleye Association meetings, we're there to help out. Well, and that's one of the one of the things that we like about our pro staff people. They're always willing to help. And you know, tournament day, you don't bother a guy, but you see a guy on the water during the during the week or on a non-tournament day or anything. He's got an offshore. Ask him if you have a question, and uh, mm-hmm. they'll help. If they don't help you, I want to know their name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hopefully, I'm doing my part. Um, no, but everyone I know that's uh, part of the the, the pro staff. Uh, always helpful and you know most of us carry extra parts or even the the newsletter that offshore puts out every year that has tons yes. of informational stuff on there we always got them in our trucks uh, most of us hand them out at uh, seminars sports shows and in events like I've, I always have them at lake st Clair wally association meetings if if you need information or want to learn how to become a better angler we're a resource for you and uh, anyone that you see with that offshore logo guarantee you they're more than willing to help you learn and we have about 10 or 12 years of that paper complete on our website. They can go there and go back with, we have videos and, and we have the paper. It used to be just the articles and the last several years, we've actually put the paper verbatim on there. So you can go sit back in a, on a rainy day and go right through two or three years and tips and ideas. Uh, they're special. Our, our pro staff, you guys turn little tips in little tiny things that, you do automatically, but really helps the weekend angler out. And we love those. We'd, I'd fill a whole paper with them if we had enough of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, good thing we got an archive of them on the website. And uh, there's definitely more stuff. I, I hear there's some good articles coming out for uh, the 2020 version. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's not done yet. Mark is still working on it. And uh, he had to redo things to... Uh, to change things around for what I've got coming. So, okay. But it's, that's, that's our, one of our best sales tools is that getting that paper in the consumer's hands. Uh, anybody that needs them, a tackle shop that has some and needs more, all they have to do is, uh, is email Jeannie or Nick or I and leave an address and we'll send some more right out to you as many as you need. Yeah. Uh, and we, move them all over the country. It's kind of fun to be in the middle of nowhere someplace and I'll look over and here's a stack of them on the shelf or one in the in uh, back of a guy's car or sitting <laughs> in a restaurant reading it. And it, it was uh, kind of neat to see a little company, you know, only in America could you, could you do that? Could you come from a, a working family and become a, you know, a, a company owner and stuff. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're truly blessed to live in the USA, and uh, yeah. and and one thing I know about offshore and, and you guys is is you're you're all about supporting you know made in America, you know, American company, American family, and those values. So when you're when you're getting offshore products, you're getting stuff that's made in America. To me, that's important. That that's special, and I think most people get that. But so I had a question: the the offshore release newsletters. Normally, there's two sides to them. Can you explain? Like, there's the two different covers. If you flip them <laughs> over, <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah. Well, we went into the striper and crappie world, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, them boys down south are boys down south. They, uh, uh, we wanted to get them to pick it up, and they could care less about walleye. So if we had a picture of a walleye or a salmon or a muskie on the cover, eh, they'd walk right by it. 
So we put a crappie or a catfish or something on the other side. Mm-hmm. So when we go down south, we put that side up. And, oh, man, look at that catfish. Oh, that's a really nice crappie. And they picked the paper up. Same paper. But that was that was something that we that we did. I learned that from Jack Roush when they were building uh, my engine and my Mustang. Okay. He said, we build these engines to rent rent to these NASCAR drivers. And he said... They wouldn't buy them from up north. He said, I took the engineers from here, moved them to a plant in Charlotte or wherever it was. Same engines, same engineers. He said, they buy them like crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So we said, well, maybe we better work on our paper. I would love to make a southern edition, but we just don't have enough. We're working on it, and it's getting bigger every year. And someday I think you'll probably see a southern edition for just for not just for distribution, but for distribution down in the crappie and catfish i'm amazed catfish and planter boards that's is really something that's we never even envisioned how mm-hmm. popular they are and even before we started getting our products in there the guys have been using homemade planter boards and lexan things with styrofoam glued to the top <laughs> and, uh, but and they're catching 60 70 80 100 pound wow. catfish on these things wow. i mean i got a 30 pounder on a with mary romanek in the boat and uh uh, a little number five flicker shed, four feet down and 40 feet of water, and it was a blue cat. Wow, that's crazy. I thought that was a monster, and we were at, uh, last year we were at Bass Pro Shops Pyramid mm-hmm. for the River Monsters Tournament. Holy crap, they brought catfish in there. The guy's holding it in his arms, and his tail's coming all the way around and knocking his hat and his sunglasses off. And I mean, it was Nick had said, this is the first time I've ever been a spectator in a tournament that I really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, if, if you don't mind me asking, what, what boards were they pulling? Were they pulling the uh, large SST Pro Mags for those giant cats? They were using both, but we're seeing more and more going to the SST. They're running 12 to 16 ounces of lead oh, wow. and then about a half a pound of meat behind it. And in the Mississippi River, she's hauling down there. Oh, yeah. They would anchor up. And then run their lines out the back, but they'd run the boards, uh, the bank side, to get it right at the edge of where the riprap from the bank come to the bottom of the river, which, like a walleye, they're hanging right there on that edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was funny. He said, now, if it's a blue cat, he said, the board's just going to take off. He said, they'll hit it and run. He said, if it's channel, they don't cover a uh, flathead. They don't cover a whole lot of ground. So he said, they'll the board will tip straight up. And then it'll go straight down like a bobber. He said, like that one right there. Said, <laughs> we missed wow. it, but he said that was a flathead. He said that was not a blue. Wow. <laughs> or a channel. Mm. So they read the boards. You know, they don't need tattle flags, but they read the boards pretty much the same way we do in our in our walleye and crappie world. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. And um, I, I talked about it earlier on, on the show, but you know, offshore isn't just walleye. You guys do stuff with uh, salmon, trout, crappie, uh, striper, and you mentioned catfish, which is uh, newer to me. But you know, there's opportunities and, and ways where uh, some of the the planer boards and, and the other stuff that you guys offer uh, provide opportunities for anglers to <laughs> get better fish and, and make it happen. That that's really interesting. <laughs> So you talked about the, how the, the folks down south that are catfish fishing um, read boards the similar way that we would read boards. And, and a big tool to help us as walleye anglers detect light bites or hitting structure is the tattle flag system. Can you walk us through how that was developed for the offshore boards? A couple of 
tournament anglers, they had this tip-up board. You would, I've, I've got some sitting in the house here, but it, it would pull and it would pop up. And they said, ah, that's what we're using. This lets us know. And I said, yeah, but what happens when you get in big water? Or what happens when you, you know, it just false trips. You, you've got to bring it all in and reset it. So I worked with them and mm-hmm. actually gave them some royalty money. We come up with going the other way with the tablet, with the flag down instead of the flag up. So that started that. And again, we fine tuned. We slowly changed the spring tensions in them and got them where we wanted them. And then about two years ago, Nick come up with this idea to put all these extra holes in the flags. Well, now we can run 10 colors of lead and your flag will still work. Yep. So that was with this deep water and the clear water, we've been fishing deeper and deeper and bigger baits and heavier weights. And now we're, we're good with that. And then we come up with the SST pro mag board for the salmon guys pulling 300 and 500 and who knows how many hundred feet of, of wire mm-hmm. uh, for salmon. And that, that's doing a great job. And that's the board that the guys really liked for the, for the catfish. Hmm. But it's it's a brute. You don't pull that on ten pound mono. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got a couple of those, and uh, when I get out to do some more cold water fishing, I definitely want to check it out. But I've had great luck with the original OR12 board, and uh, even with big weights, like I'll use the uh, the Tadpole resettable diving weight, the Magnum size one, which that, that's a big honking weight there, and it dives. Do you know how heavy that sucker is? I'm guessing three four ounces, maybe more. Yeah, we've 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 weighed them, but we've never called them by weight. But they're about four ounces. Okay, um, and, I've uh, I've trolled those relatively fast, and and they're pretty heavy, and they dig down pretty well. And and with the improvements to the uh, revised tattle flag with those extra holes, you can still use the tattle flag when you're moving pretty quick with those. Uh, use those on Lake George and uh, the Sault Ste. Marie National Walleye Tour event during practice, and definitely a cool technique. Um, Always opportunities to try things a little bit different. When did the tail flag initially come out? Oh, boy. You're going in my memory bank. You know, I'm an old guy here. Uh, let's see. This is 19, probably mid-2000s, five, between 5 and 2005 and 2008, I think. Uh, mm. I wish we would have kept better records on a lot of stuff, but uh, it just seems like they've always been on there. And, of course... Everybody said, well, why don't you build the board right in the first place? Well, there is no right. I mean, if I called, if I talked to five of you pros, you would have six different ways that the board should be rigged. Right. And that's one thing we do that some of our competitors don't do. We don't force you to use the board the way I think is the best way to use it. Mm -hmm. Here's the board. Here's all you need to catch fish. The consumer doesn't need to change a thing. If you go on my boat, you'll see tattle flags. But the board is just the way it comes out of the package. I got the OR19 on the front, the OR16 on the back. Mm-hmm. I rig mine with a so it twists and pops off the front and stays in place. I get it out of the out of the pack and bring it up the middle. Some pros don't like to do that, but we don't make you run the board the way I run it. You're you're free to have a good time and and that's that's where the innovation's been. It's not that we come up with new ideas. It's that you guys have come up with new ideas and we listened like ranger boats we listened and we incorporated it into our product line yeah yeah that's the strength of everything you guys do is you can 
use it the way you want to fish for your style and the the type of fish you're you're going after and and i think that's why offshore boards are prolific i, I think Mark Romanek mentioned to me at one point that he estimated about 80% of the market share is uh, offshore boards for inline. And, and that, that's really saying something. I mean, most of the walleye guys I know pull offshore boards and, and they're just super versatile. Um, I mean, another really cool tool I like is that new uh, easy crankbait tuner. And uh, for, for tournament guys or, or fun fishermen, that's a really useful product if, if you got your crankbaits that are out of tune you just a simple click on that tool and then carefully readjusting the uh, snap on the end of the tool um, you're back in business and it's kind of a trial and error thing there's plenty of good videos available on that and it's super helpful if you want to get your baits running right with the right action and staying in line so you get your maximum depth super cool i uh i do mine when i'm tuning a crankbait initially I'll let it out 75 feet or so, mm-hmm. and I'll burn it in right up the center of the back of the boat because I, I feel that long lead gives you more notice of the angle that it's going on. Mm-hmm. And so if I see it going to the right, I know I've got to click it back the other way. And you have to remember you close that little – every time you snap it, you got to make sure you close that little upper lever. I don't like to call it a jaw, but that little upper nose on it, you have to snap shut again. Yep. And you start out with not making any changes. You don't want any adjustments. You want to click it, doesn't make a change, tighten it a little bit. And then the first time you see a change, you don't adjust it anymore. You might have to snap it 10 times. But you've uh, that that tension there tells you that you're moving that eye. Yeah. And if you crank it down after that, well, you might as well grab a pair of pliers and bend it. Yeah, and, and break the eyelet on the crankbait. That, that's yeah. why, that's why I like the easy crankbait yeah. tool. Twelve dollars out the door. Yep, especially with some of those <laughs> customs, it hurts. It hurts. Um, if anyone wants to see how that that easy crankbait tool works um, in the upcoming sports shows like Novi or uh, Outdoorama, uh, Mark Romanak's got a booth, and sometimes I'm there. If you want to learn about how to use that tool, I'll definitely show you how to do it. Or anyone you know you see with an offshore hoodie or anything like that, they'd be more than happy to show you. I, I really think it'll help you out if you're a crankbait fisherman and if you're not a crankbait fisherman you might want to be one because it's an effective way to uh cover water and heck you can catch salmon that way uh walleyes it's it's super super effective well the bass fishermen need to know they, they think they can just burn a crank in they they really need to turn tune their cranks and uh I know some of the top guys do. You don't have to tell them, and they're not going to tell you. Yep. <laughs> but it's it's very important that a just casting that board that bait. I don't know why. I mean, it's it's still wiggling. Why would a fish care if it's laid over a little bit? But they do. If it's not running right, I mean, back in the old reef runner days, that eight hundred reef runner didn't come in like a three pound walleye. You knew it wasn't tuned right. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you had to tune it because you got a fish and he banned bounced around in the floor of the boat with the with that bait in his mouth you better tune it before you throw it back in absolutely (laughs) they uh, they still do catch a lot of fish but boy you got to stay on top of them with tuning that's that's it now i i fished with some number nine flicker minnows Mm -hmm. and they have a very soft eye in them you have to watch them they come tuned pretty good out of the package, but you've got to you've got to be careful and and really back your your easy tuner off 
when you initially start to go, I bet one on about a 90 degree angle. It took oh, me 20 oh. minutes to get it back to shape again. But you got it back, right? Oh, yeah. It came <laughs> back. Uh, I almost threw it over the side. But no, I said, I'm going to make this son of a gun work. And, mm-hmm. and I did. But that's just a little tip on that bait. The bait's awesome. It catches a lot of fish, but you have to be very careful. You certainly don't want to bend that one with a pair of pliers. Mm-hmm. So do you have, um, and, and I assume you fish mostly, uh, at least if you're fun fishing, the thumb area, Michigan, do you have any favorite colors, size profiles of those Berkeley flicker minnows? Uh, I like the number five and number six behind a, a number one tadpole because mm-hmm. I don't have to let it out very far. And I've got a lot of them from our crappie fishing. Oh. And and then uh, uh, of the flicker shads, and then the flicker minnows, the seven and nine, uh, boy, colors. I'm I'm a black and silver guy, and uh, cheap sunglasses. I read a lot of hot and tots too. Again, mm-hmm. I've got enough tackle here. If I threw a, a lure out every time I caught a fish, I'd die before I got rid of all my lures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... But, uh, Flicker minnows. I, I tell you what, I really like that uh, slick sunset color. That's a really good one. And uh, some of the classic colors you'd mentioned, I know that uh, uh, anything with purple is, is really good Saginaw Bay. Um, anything you can get close to a perch on Lake St. Clair is excellent as well. And um, I, I've, I've said this before, but if folks don't know this, if you put one of those offshore tadpoles in the water and you're trolling at a decent clip, or even if you're trolling crawler on it, just watch it behind the boat. You'll actually see it kind of search left and right. And I personally believe that it puts a different action on that crankbait, kind of makes it juke to the side, left, right. Same thing with the spinner. And, and sometimes that, uh, in my experience, will help you get better fish. So just different things to consider, but put one of those tadpoles out behind there and watch what it does when you're trolling. Um, I think some people know that, but if you don't, now you do. Do you remember our old salmon days? We used to adjust our the fly behind the dodger. And if it was lake trout fishing, you wanted the fly to set pretty steady, just maybe wiggle a little bit. But if you're salmon fishing, you shortened that right up so it would jerk back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, the tadpole's the same way. I run, I run my crawler harnesses probably two foot because I want that, that little sway out of the tadpole to move that crawler a little bit too because if it if you're running six seven foot leads behind it that sway back and forth isn't going to change the angle of that crawler harness mm-hmm. it may attract a fish because he sees that moving but i want that crawler harness just to just not to jerk back and forth like the old salmon stuff but just turn the head of that spinner a little bit yeah and that that makes it click when it comes back the other way i've run them like the old eerie dearies Six-inch wire harness snapped right to the back of the tadpole. No kidding. You're fishing the bottom, that's where you want to be with it. You know, you don't need want it back gathering moss and zebras. You want it right tight, right tight to the bottom. And if fish doesn't care, you know, I mean, he'd eat the tadpole just as soon as he'd eat that crawler harness. <laughs> I'm sure it's happened before. <laughs> uh, I should put some softer paint on them and see if there are teeth marks. Uh, the powder coat, it's pretty hard to scratch them. You can bang them around pretty good. With yeah, them. I've, 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 I've dropped some on the cement and uh, haven't had too much chippage. I mean, it, it's uh, pretty tough stuff. Um, so I, I just got a question for you. Um, with Nick at the head of Offshore Tackle and, and yourself in, in a more supporting role, how do you see the company continuing to lead the market through innovation? Well, our pro staff is going to help us with that. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 
you know, they'll come up with ideas and we're always looking. Anybody has an idea, we're interested in entertaining it. And uh, I've had some crazy ones sent to me that were just, they were really cool, but they you couldn't sell them. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd, you'd have a hundreds of thousands of dollars in the tooling and all that stuff. Uh, but we're just going to keep reading the market and try and ex- explore new areas. I'd like to get the crappie game going a little more where it's more of a go-to product instead of a, well, it's a nice, it's, it's windy today, so we'll run planer boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that the easy tuner came from uh, an inventor. And Nick, Nick saw that and they talked to each other for about a year while he was still designing his model. He sent us his prototypes and we worked out an agreement and purchased the uh, patent rights and everything from him and pay him a royalty. And about two years after that, we got, we finished the product for him. And uh, so that was probably since the, he started on it, it was probably been almost five years till we come out with it last year. Wow. So we're not real fast at bringing a product to market, but we try to bring it out as ready as it can be. And, uh, I hated to put knobs and dials and stuff on. I, I hate to give the consumer adjustable stuff, but that has to be. And it's once they learn how to use it, it's, it'll hang around your neck right next to your, your, uh, controller for your electric motor yeah it, it does for me and and one thing i appreciate is that uh the stuff that you guys put out to market it's gone through the ringer it's been tested by field staffers well, we're fishermen too and it's not about i mean we like making money but it's it's about building good products and the pride it takes to have somebody you know pay our buy our product we're not the bottom of the we're expensive and we're quality, and we back it with service. So, uh, you know, Nick's phone number is on his website. It used to be mine, but Nick's cell phone is on there. Somebody has a problem, they can call, and he'll he'll spend all the time it takes to get you to run the product right, or he'll direct you to the right place to uh, to purchase it. Or, of course, anything you can't find locally, you can get off our website. But Nick's doing a great job. There's more of me coming out in him all the time. I'm so happy that uh, hmm. that he's doing that now, and I'm really enjoying my time. So um, one last thing I want to talk about, and it, I saw it on social media, but you will be inducted into the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, and, and that's a tremendous honor, looking at the names that are in that uh, Hall of Fame. So what does that mean to you, being part of, of something great like that? Wow. You know, there's only 450 people. And all the thousands of millions of anglers out there, it's, I'm still not fully, fully understanding how valuable and how special this award is. I mean, uh, Kurt Gowdy, Ernest Hemingway, Teddy Roosevelt, mm-hmm. Forrest Williams, not counting our walleye guys, you know, Keith and Gary and, well, Tommy's getting inducted with me. That's yeah. going to be we're going on the stage together, so well, that's awesome. I asked if I could uh, if I could go first because I said I don't want to follow you unless it's to a good fishing spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So when's the so, induction? Uh, it'll be 18th of January in the Northwest Illinois uh, Sports Show. Okay. And uh, we're excited. We got my family going. My father's going. He was he's almost 93. And uh, so he's going to go. 
uh, Nick's bringing his whole family and wow. his wife and son. And mm-hmm. uh, it's like I said, I haven't fully hasn't fully sunk in yet. And, uh, it's, it's just such an honor. And uh, to get in is so difficult because it's 100 percent acceptance by the committee. Mm-hmm. If one guy says, eh, I don't know, then it's done. You're out. So just tickled i had jim grant with grant rods he called me and he's been like a hall of fame mentor to me telling me hey this is a big deal this is important you need to be there because i'd already booked the whole month in mexico to go lay in a lounge for get out of this winter <laughs> i don't blame you oh you have to be there I yeah. said, okay so well, that's tremendous and, and just hearing some of the names that you'd mentioned i mean those are folks that are key uh, contributors to, to uh, conservation, um, education, advancing the sport, advancing technology, and, and influencing the way that people fish. And if you look at offshore tackle and the stuff that you've had your hand in, that's that's absolutely the truth. So many people have changed the way they fish by using offshore tackle stuff. And uh, you've been involved in the tournaments. Uh, you have your family involved in the fishing industry. And you listen to people and you care about um, the anglers and, and, and you base your entire business off that. And I think for those reasons, you know, you're well deserving of being in the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. And I'm excited for you. <laughs> that, that's you. amazing. It's, it's uh, <laughs> they say I've got the acceptance letter on the table. It doesn't go anywhere. It's sitting right there. And I said, wow, I've read it several times. And I said, wow, that's me. <laughs> so, One of these and, days uh, it'll it'll settle in. Yeah. Well, and you know, going, it's, I'm trying to work on my acceptance speech for that. And I, the best I can, my theme is going to be that it's, I know I'm getting the, the award, but we got it. You guys, our pro staff, the media people, they have all worked to push offshore to the top. And I happen to be, you know, there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's hard for me to explain. I've, I've said the word I more in, since I've heard that than I have in the last 20 years. It's, it's always we and it's us and our pro staff. And so it's a little hard for me to, you know, toot my horn, I guess, would be the what's going on. But it, it was all of you guys, and, and I appreciate it, and I thank all of you. Uh, oh, thanks. It's just amazing. It's an amazing feeling, and we couldn't have done it without everybody that surrounds offshore and, and myself. Yeah. Well, everyone's excited for you. And, uh, if that's being streamed online, I'm, I'm sure folks that can't make it will definitely check it out. And I'm looking forward to seeing your name and your picture up there and a uh, pretty cool website for folks that want to check it out. you can see some of those great names and, and more of all the significant folks that have contributed to freshwater fishing, all across the world and uh it's cool to see bruce going up there and and along with tommy as well and i'm super excited me too (laughs) well um i i wanted to thank you so much for for being on the podcast and offshore has been a long-term sponsor for lake st Clair walleye association everyone that fishes in our uh our community we're almost 300 members strong our club and, and we're growing. Um, everyone uses offshore tackle products and, and, uh, we believe in the stuff that you guys do and you guys have always supported us. So the, the Lake St. Clair Walleye Association wants to thank you, Bruce and, and Nick and the entire offshore family. And it's been great having you on the podcast. 
Thank you. It's been wonderful to be with you.